Good afternoon, everybody. What's going on? Um, my name is JP, and like Pastor Emily, sh- Emily shared, I serve. I'm from Virginia, and I serve as um, the discipleship pastor. It's been it's been a long one month so far. Um, before that, I used to be a college pastor serving at uh, Yonsei University, but I'm excited to step into this role, and uh, I'm excited to preach today. Last week. Uh, Pastor Susie started a two-part sermon um, on, and we've been marinating in uh, the greatest commandment, right? We've been marinating in the greatest commandment. When Pastor Susie began her message last week, I listened to it on podcast, that was in Busan last week, she says something like, she's going to preach a short message. And y'all are laughing because it went one hour, right? Now for me, I'm not making any promises today, but so we'll see what happens as the Spirit leads. Holy Spirit, help me, all right? Pray for me, guys, all right? So today, I'm going to be preaching on the second part of the sermon series, which is on loving our neighbors, loving one another. And we've been marinating on Matthew 22, when Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And uh, before I go on to the second commandment, um, I just want to say that as I was listening to Pastor Susie's message, um, if you have not listened to it yet, please uh, check out our podcast and please listen to it. It's titled Intimacy with God. When I was listening to this, my heart was so stirred. And I know it, it it was a powerful message. And she reminded us, of what it means to keep the first things first, right? Going back to reorganizing, reprioritizing, and keeping the main thing the main thing. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to the main thing, which is love, right? That's what this passage is highlighting. And I want to point out some things that really resonated with me from her message. Because honestly, uh, as I'll explain more later, I can't preach the second commandment without preaching the first because they are two sides of the same coin. Because that's why in the passage it says, and the second is like it. And so I just want to remind us, give us a refresher and share with you what touched my heart. And the first thing was this, the invitation to know God more. And as Pastor Susie preached, she preached that God chose us and God saved us. God took initiative, and he chose us, but also he invites us to communion and fellowship with him. So he didn't just save us from death and eternal separation from him, but he saved us into a rich relationship and a loving relationship with the creator, creator of the heavens and earth. Right? Second thing is this, the beauty of hunger and longing that is cultivated. And she talked about what it means to be a desperate, a people of God that long to know him more. And there's there's an adjective about God that we take lightly, and that is God is wonderful. right? God is wonderful. He's full of wonder. He's deserving of awe. Um, I like how one of the artists say he is an endless ocean, a bottomless sea. Right? And... The beauty of this hunger and this, the nature of relationship is a continual longing to know him more. 
And uh, to add to that, I want to say this quote that um, is from a pastor named Mike Biggle. He says this. He says, we have built in us a God-shaped vacuum, which remains empty until we allow God to fill it by fulfilling our deepest longings. This gnawing hunger is only satisfied by God's touch and never fulfilled in this age. Even so, having the merest taste of this satisfaction is to truly live. And having the faintest revelation of that future fulfillment is the pinnacle of what it means to be alive. And I love this quote. Because it puts things into perspective for us. And I love that we were singing songs today um, themed around being satisfied, Jesus satisfying our souls. Right? Third thing that I love from her sermon is the power of a life filled with awe and wonder. Right? Like I said, God is an endless ocean, a bottomless sea. And the thing about us in our generation, right? When we, our attention spans are so, you know, so low, right? We are... Are, we're awed and, and, and filled with wonder uh, in such a short amount of time. We move on so fast, right? But with God, we got to be reminded that when we meditate on how big and how great and how wonderful God is, what cultivates in us is our things, kingdom uh, values such as gratitude, such as humility, such as more hunger, Right? The fourth thing from this sermon is the, necess- the necessity of the Holy Spirit to bring revelation of Jesus. She talked about how we need God's hearts. As in, we need the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to stir in our hearts, for us to receive revelation of who He is. She talked about the passage in Ephesians, opening the eyes of our hearts, that we would seek Him. And lastly, the power of intimacy being the anchor through current and future storms. As we live in this dark and sin-tainted world, our sole anchor to navigate this life is our intimacy with Jesus. And I love that she emphasizes that our obedience to the greatest commandment, to love God with all of our hearts, our obedience to this greatest commandment is the key to being prepared for current and end-time tribulation and suffering. It's our intimacy with God. So I think God is genius. God is genius by commanding us to obey something that is not only for His glory, but also for our good. He's commanding us to be intimate with Him. And that intimacy is our anchor that gets us through this life. Amen? So today... We're going to go into part two, which is the second greatest commandment. And like I said, it is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this passage that we're reading, it's talking about our vertical relationship with God. Right? Each and every one of us, born-again believers, we have a vertical relationship with God. And that's what the greatest commandment is all about. But the second greatest commandment, which is loving others, that is that horizontal aspect of our relationships the overflow of our vertical relationship with god should overflow into our horizontal relationships with one another amen and so they are two sides of the same coin because of this our intimacy with god directly correlates to our love and intimacy with one another so your 
intimacy with God directly affects how tight-knit and how loving this community here can be. But vice versa, vice versa, as in our intimacy with one another as a community should feed into our intimacy with God. And that's, that's our heart, right? That's our prayer for us here as a church. For us to be a community that's so tight-knit, that loves one another in such a way that it provokes each one another to deeper intimacy. So I dream and I long to be part of a community where we come together. And every time we come together, we walk away hungering for more of God. And there are, I know you know people like that. There are people in my life, every time I'm around them, there's something about them, whether they talk about God, you know, whether they're you know, giving that real talk, or whether they're just watching them live. Something about the way, the way that they're living, I walk away and I'm like, man, my heart is stirred. And to me, this is a beautiful manifestation of the first and second greatest commandment that Jesus commanded us, right? That's, that's what we're going after here. That's what we're going after. Um, when we read this commandment, uh, we got to be reminded the context of the Ten Commandments. I was going to say 12, right? Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> I didn't read my Bible, all right? The Ten Commandments. You know, when you read the Ten Commandments, the first four actually deal with God is genius, the way he lays it out. The first four actually deal with our vertical relationship with God. Talking about what? Talking about, I am the Lord thy God, no other gods before me, no graven images or likeness, not taking the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath. All these four commandments have you know, direct correlation to our vertical relationship with God. But the remainder of the Ten Commandments are actually given because it directly affects our horizontal relationship with one another. Let me read them for us. Honor your mother and father. Do not murder. Remain faithful to your spouse. Do not steal. Do not speak falsely of others. Do not envy or lust or covet what belongs to others. You see how all these commandments, it's amazing. It's amazing to see how these commandments directly affect our relationship with one another. So who is our neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is our neighbor? Under the umbrella of neighbor, there's actually, uh, there's a lot there. Right? But I'm just going to divide it into two categories. The first is this. The first is those in the family of God, believers. And the second is those that do not believe and do not follow Christ. We're all called to love both. But today... I'm going to focus on what it means to love our family members. What it means to love one another. All right? And so, when I was studying this passage, and that, that question that we all probably wonder, what does it mean for us to, to love one another? How can we love one another? How can I love my boss? You know what I mean? How can I love those who you know, mess with me? How can I love those who do me wrong? How can I love... <clears throat> Then annoying, okay? And I, I know I'm annoying, all right, at times, all right? How can you guys love me? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, something that really helped me is understanding. Um, one thing we got to understand, which means the image of God. Image of God. 
One thing we got to understand is there's a difference between the image of God and the likeness of God. All right. Now, the image of God, I'm just going to read this, this quote here. It says, God's image in every person is the moral and ethical foundation for every commandment that governs how we ought to treat other fellow human beings. Scripture repeatedly makes this clear. For example, why is murder deemed such a heinous sin? Because killing a fellow human being is the ultimate desecration of God's image. So when it comes to loving one another, let's lay that foundation down. Why don't you look to your left and your right, right? And don't say anything this time. So look them in the eye and think to yourself, man, this person is made in God's image. Right? Go ahead and do that. This person is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in God's image. Even myself. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right? Even myself. Truth. Right? It's in the Bible. All right? So we are made in God's image. And to love one another is in a way to love God. When we love one another, we are loving God. That's why the greatest and the second is so intertwined. Right? If, we view, if we are to view and see each other in the, with the heart and the eyes of God, then we need to be reminded that we are all made in the image of God. A big reason why, also, we all need each other. A big, re- a big reason why that we can't do this walk with God alone. We can't do Lone Ranger thing, right? A big reason is because of this. We all need each other because... The likeness of God is still being restored through this process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. We may believe cognitively that we are all made in the image of God. We may say yes and amen to to these things, but I'll be the first to admit that I am far from being like God. As in, I'm I'm in this gracious process called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification, right? God is restoring his likeness in you and I. Because we still deal with sin. And guess what? We need each other. Right? We are all part of the process. Whether it's through encouragement (laughs) and blessing. Or, um, you know, tough love. You know? Or when it's hard to love. Right? So, a question that I want to ask you guys today is, if you could be friends, right, with any of the 12 disciples today, if you were back in that time, right, and you could be tight, good friends, do life with, with any of the 12 disciples, who would you choose? Think about it. Would it be Peter, right? Who would it be? Bartholomew? You know, like, nobody knows, like, never mind. <laughs> Some of the disciples, right? If you said Apostle John, you right. <laughs> Who said Apostle John? Raise your hand. If you said Apostle John, you right. Amen. And I'm not saying that because my name is John. All right? I'm not saying that because my name is John. Because I thought about this question, and here's the thing. I would love to be John's friend. Why? Because John, you know what his, his name means? His alias, his name means Beloved. John the Beloved, right? The disciple, okay? We're all beloved, okay? But John, he was known, right? 
to be loved. You know, when you read the book of John, John, he describes himself. You know, he wrote the gospel according to John. I love it. He's kind of funny. He writes sometimes. He doesn't say John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he writes that. Right? It's about five times in the book of John. John knows that he is loved. He's like, I am my beloved. You know, I am beloved. He knows that he is loved. Out of the 12 apostles, there were three that were considered to be in the inner circle. That were closer to Jesus. And that was Peter, James, and John. But out of those three, right? John, Apostle John, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. In John 13, 23, it says that John was the one that was reclining, you know, at the table and rested his head on the bosom of Jesus. And to me, that's very symbolic of John. He was one who was very well acquainted and near to the heart of Jesus, right? Apostle John the Beloved. And check this out. The first three gospels out of the four, the synoptic gospels, focus more on what Jesus taught and did. But the gospel of John focused more on who Jesus was. Of course, the gospel of John talks about what Jesus did as well. But out of all the gospels, the gospel of John reveals more of who Jesus is. His being. That's why in the book of John... There's many what we call I am statements. John records in the book of John, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So it's apparent that John, he really knew Jesus. He didn't just write down the things that Jesus did. But he laid out qualities about and identities of who Jesus was. So I want to hang out with John. Have you ever hung around uh, friends that you consider their best friends with Jesus? Out of the people that you know, when you look at them, you're like, oh, that person is like homies with Jesus. Like they're tight with Jesus. They walk with him. They talk with him. And a lot of people want to be around those people. You know why? Because those who really know that they are loved, those who really know their identity, it overflows. It overflows. Right? Another thing about John is Jesus entrusted John with the care of his mother, Mary, when Jesus died upon the cross. You know, he gave John the vision of the transfiguration. He allowed John to witness his most amazing miracles. And later on, guess what? He gave Apostle John, you know, revelations from heaven that we now read as the book of Revelations. You know, sometimes my heart, it aches for, I feel bad for John. You know why? Because when Jesus left, it's not just some Bible story we just read by. There are emotions involved. Jesus was so tight. I mean, John was so tight with Jesus. They were so tight. You know when Jesus left? And Jesus said, I'm going to promise, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And I got this mission for you. We can't forget the fact that there was an emotional void in John's heart. 
Jesus, whom they've been doing life with for three years. Now, when John receives all these revelations about the second coming, Jesus coming back in the book of Revelations, can you imagine how John felt? How much John missed Jesus? How much John would do whatever it took? How seriously John would keep the commandments of Jesus? Because he loved him and he missed him so much. I can only imagine how, how much agape love was demonstrated in John's life. I'm assuming that for Apostle John, his heart was super tender. I'm assuming that John, he was really selfless. I'm assuming that for him, he prioritized the love of Christ being demonstrated through his life. So when John wrote John, he wrote with the lens of love and with the lens of knowing Jesus intimately. So today, I'm going to get into this passage. Okay? Today, we're going to look at a specific moment in John's life that deeply impacted his life and his heart. All right? Out of so many things that John witnessed and received doing life with Jesus, this moment that we're about to get into right now, this specific moment marked John's heart so with such impact that this caused John to write 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Let's turn to the book of John chapter 13. John chapter 13. The special moment that impacted the heart of John. John chapter 13, verse 1 through 20. Then we're going to skip down to verse 31 to 35. All right. I'm going to read this for us. I'm reading from the ESV. Right. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During fellowship, when the devil had already put in into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What am I doing? You do not understand now, but what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, Jesus said to his disciples, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who sent receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's skip down to verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. It's a familiar passage for many of us. The scene where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. This is the last message before Jesus is crucified, before Jesus prays in the garden, betrayed by Judas Iscariot. This is the last message that he's trying to say to his disciples. And I love that in verse, uh, in verse 1 right here, it says that Jesus loved them to the end. Another translation, it says Jesus loved them to the fullest extent. He loved them all the way till the end. You see this? It doesn't mean that Jesus continued to love his disciples only up to the end of his career. But what this passage is trying to say, what this verse is trying to say, is that Jesus loved them. His love had no limits. Meaning, Jesus, he loves them, he loves us all the way, all the time. All the way, all the time. And at this critical moment in the life of Jesus, the evening before he went to the cross, Jesus knew that he was about to be betrayed by Judas. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times. Jesus knew that his, his disciples would forsake him and run away. But even still, in that verse, that verse alone touches my heart. Because it says that Jesus, he will love all the way, all the time. Knowing what his disciples are going to do. So what did he do? In the middle of supper, we'll call it dinner, because nobody says supper these days, right? In the middle of the meal, the tradition for every household at that time was actually, people actually ate lying down. Come on, somebody, right? I'm not going to do it for you, right? But people lie down on their elbow, and they just ate like this, and their feet were kind of dangling off the sides. 
And while they were eating, the tradition was for, was for the lowest servants of the house to come with a water basin and, and a towel and to wash the dirty feet of, of everyone that was invited to the house. And at that time, and at that time, them feet stank, all right? <laughs> Their feet stank. And they did this multiple times a day, every day. The ground was dirty. They walked around in their sandals. It was a mess. So it was a tradition that they always had to do, right? We think feet stink today, right? But it's not. But here, Jesus, it was back then, right? This was tradition, right? But here, Jesus is the King of kings, the Prince of heaven, the Son of man, the Son of God. He gets up in the middle of dinner and he does some crazy thing. He takes the form of a lowly servant and he begins to go disciple by disciple. He begins to wash their feet. And the king of kings gets so low as if Jesus didn't come low enough. As if Jesus didn't come low enough from the balcony of heaven all the way here down into earth. As if his incarnation wasn't low enough. As if him hanging out with sinners, as if him hanging out with these disciples wasn't low enough, there was still lower to go. He became a servant, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And we both know, we all know, that they, that wasn't low enough. We both know that that next day, he will be nailed to a cross, and will wash away the sins of the world. Jesus, displaying his leadership, through the form of a servant. Right? In the book of Luke, this is crazy. In the book of Luke, Luke also talks about this account. But he mentions this detail. You know, at that table when they're eating, when Jesus is washing their feet, you know what the disciples are doing? They're arguing with each other. They're arguing with each other. I'm the greatest. I'm the, it's like they've been doing life with Jesus for three years. They've been receiving the teachings of Jesus for three years. They've been seeing Jesus demonstrate these principles for three years. And here they are at that last supper. And they're talking about who's the greatest. They're comparing themselves to each other. They're arguing. And then they come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They're arguing. And then Jesus washes their feet. Let me tell you what greatness looks like. And in that passage in Luke, Jesus says it like this. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? This demonstration, this last message that Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is, a, this is not just a tweak in our behavior. This is a this is an all-out change in our operating system. This is this is a complete upside upside down culture right here. It's called kingdom culture. Right? Jesus is saying this right now. It's not just the act of what Jesus did, even though that in and of itself is crazy. It's not just the act, but we gotta remember who is doing that act. And we can't just remember who is doing that act. we got to remember who he is doing that act to. Even for us, if we imagine 
the Son of God stooping low to wash our feet, we can't just be thinking about that is an extravagant act. It is that is an extravagant act in light of who he is and in light of who I am. Because if we don't get this in our hearts, if we don't get this revelation in our hearts, and if we don't just take some time to pause and park at the foot of the cross and remember the cross once again, remember the washing of our feet once again, if we don't do this, guess what? We can't convince ourselves to wash one another's feet. We can't, we'll do it by tradition maybe, but in our hearts, will we really be washing one another's feet? Will we really? And this is a big revelation that I got as I was studying this passage. And let's look at verse 8 to 10. Let's look at verse 8 to 10. Peter, right? Peter, he comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. But wash my hands and my head. Wash my whole body. Give me a full bath. Don't just wash my feet. The one, and Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean. When I read this passage, it's kind of confusing. It's interesting. But it's good to know that in that culture, it's not like us today where we shower every day. You guys shower every day, right? Right? I do, right? It's not like we, ha- we all have bathrooms and we all have shower to shower every day. But back in that time, these fishermen, they didn't have that luxury. It wasn't in their culture to have their own you know, shower heads in their own houses, actually. Actually, they only showered about once a week. And it was a public shower in that culture. But you know what? They did wash every day, multiple times a day. It was their feet. It was their feet. You know, when I read this passage, what I see is that when it comes, when Peter is saying, wash my body clean, and Jesus is saying, you don't need to wash your body clean, you are clean. That whole washing of the body, what that symbolizes is our salvation, is our justification. You and I, we are clean. Those who believe in Jesus, We are blood-bought. The the blood of Jesus has washed away our sins once and for all. We are righteous. The righteousness of Jesus has come upon us. We are clean. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are clean. You are clean. But, let's turn to our neighbor and say, but your feet is dirty. (laughs) All right? All right? You see, the repeated, we got to get this, all right? The repeated washing of the feet, the repeated washing of our feet, if our whole body is, represents our salvation once and for all, the repeated washing of our feet represents our daily confession of sin. And turning to Jesus, repentance, for ongoing, ap- ongoing application of what was accomplished at the cross. Because I'll be the first to admit that I'm made in the image of God, but Holy Spirit is still transforming me. I'll be the first to admit that I know my sin, not just my sinfulness. I know my sin. 
All of us need a greater awareness of how to read our hearts. All of us need a greater awareness of the sin that we're living. Because you know what? We might be walking around, you know, with our, with our feet smelling so bad, but not be aware of it. You ever meet those people? <laughs> you know what I mean? We might, seriously, like, we might be walking around not thinking that our sin is affecting everyone around us. And not even know it. Right? The repeated washing of our feet multiple times a day, every day, means this, that we're still being sanctified. And Martin Luther, he said this. I love this. He said, all of life is repentance. Sounds harsh, but it's true. All of life is repentance. Repentance means turning back to God. Turning back to His ways. All of life is repentance because we're always, more often than we think, so prone to wander, walking away from the love, the standard, the life of Jesus. All of life is repentance. And in that way, we need our our feet washing every day. We need our feet washing every day. I like, you see, and after that, what Jesus says is the commandment that we hear for us today. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Right? The manifestation of that is seen right here. What I have just shown you right now. My last message to you. What I have just shown you of washing your feet, I want you guys to do it to each other. You who guys, you guys are fighting right now. You guys are looking down on each other right now. You guys are living the opposite in your heart of what I've been teaching and what I represent. What I have just shown you right now, I want you guys to show that to each other. Wash one another's feet. Wash one another's feet. And you know what that means for us, church? It means two things. The first is this. We got to uncover our feet and show our mess to each other. It's almost like walking around with our socks and our shoes on, not wanting to show our feet because we're so ashamed. But it's not just that. The second thing is this. Cover each other's sin. What does it mean to wash one another's feet today? First is vulnerability. My feet is dirty. This is what I am struggling with. I've been battling this sin. Calling sin for what it is. What does community look like? It means when we stoop down low to each other. and We get the truth of God and we're washing one another's feet. You know, one of the greatest, I believe that, one of the greatest signs and fruit of a healthy community. You know what it is? It's, it's confession of sin to one another. Where there's so much safety. There's so much trust. That we actually obey what the Bible says. Where it says, confess your sin to one another. Right? <laughs> I'm trying to be serious here. God's like, lighten up, right? You guys see what I'm getting at here? What it means to wash one another's feet. Is I do dream for our community to experience this fellowship. Where we feel safe enough to share with each other what we are actually really struggling with. 
When we can feel safe enough to say, hey, I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm, I'm struggling with addiction to alcohol. I'm struggling with hate. I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling with these things. This is my feet. This is what it is. Where we guide one another. Where we wash one another's feet with the truth. Pointing back to Jesus. Pointing back to the greatest commandment of loving God together. Of loving God together. Charles Spurgeon, he's known as like the prince of preachers, they say. I'm going to read this quote that he said. Criticize those. It's very, it's very convicting. He says, it is easy for us to criticize those with dirty feet instead of washing them. In the world, they criticize. This is a business of the public press. And it is very much the business of private circles. Hear how gossip says, do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He has been very much in the mire, you can see. For there are the traces upon him. That is the world's way. Christ's way is very different. He says nothing. But he takes the basin and he begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the erring. Washing one another's feet. In verse 34, where we read, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you. Everyone say new commandment. Is this a new commandment? Because I, I swear in Leviticus it says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. What is Jesus talking about saying here, a new commandment I give you? What makes this commandment new is what you read on the tail end of that verse. This is a new commandment when Jesus says, just as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, this is a new commandment because for this, I am the standard. What I'm demonstrating right now, this is the model. This is the heart. This is the standard of what it means to love one another. Right? And guess what? It's a supernatural love, not a carnal love. Because we can't. <laughs> we try. But the love of Christ is so radical, so supreme, so powerful. I feel so far from it. I don't know if you can relate. That it's a supernatural love. And that's why Jesus sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit helps us and cultivates that inner garden, cultivating that fruit of the Spirit, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness. So we ought to humble ourselves. We ought to get on our knees for two things. To pray and ask Holy Spirit to do this in us and get on our knees to wash each other's feet. It's a supernatural love. John witnessed Jesus do this extravagant act. And he read this, just as I have loved you. John is hearing this. He's seeing this crazy thing that Jesus is doing. And Jesus is saying, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. 
just as I have loved you. You know why I think, you know why I believe that this moment right now, I said in the beginning, marked John's heart so tremendously, so powerfully. This moment was life-changing for Apostle John. You know why? Because he was moved so deeply, deep enough to the point where he wrote 1 John. And 1 John, he wrote later on, is known as the love chapter. And I don't have time to, I wish I could just read the whole book right now. But in chapter 1 of 1 John, you know what it says? Subtitle, it says, a new commandment. John writes, a new commandment. And he says this, beloved. Right? John, he knows he's loved. And he calls, he calls us, beloved. Right? Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is the light of the world and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, in him there is no cause for stumbling. You keep reading all the, way through the cha- all the way through the book. Again and again and again. John is emphasizing, we got to love one another. We got to love our brother. To what standard? Jesus said to himself, as I have loved you. That is the standard that he gives. Love proves true discipleship. Love proves true discipleship. Effective discipleship cultivates love. And I look at the disciples. I see particularly Apostle John. And I see so much love being cultivated in his heart. One more passage that I want to to touch on is this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted the disciples. This is after Jesus ascended into heaven. And he says this. Disciples says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Everyone say fellowship. Fellowship in Greek I don't have a nice PowerPoint. Pastor Susie always does, right? It says, the Greek word for that is koinonia. Koinonia, fellowship. Okay? It says right here in Acts, this is a miracle here. Thousands and thousands are added to their number. They're gathering together. And what's, what, what happens? The church is birthed. And then they're engaging in what you call koinonia. Why am I sharing this verse is this. When Jesus washed his feet and saying, do this to one, one another, the command to love one another, the manifestation of these commandments, the fruit of obedience to these commandments, what it is, is this. Acts chapter 2. Fellowship. True Christ-like fellowship is the manifestation of obeying Jesus' command to wash one another's feet. We're seeing the fruit of it now in Acts. Okay? In Acts, what we see is the first commandment. They're pursuing God together. In the second commandment, it says right here in chapter 2, they were devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. Okay? They got that hor- horizontal intimacy and also that vertical intimacy going on. And, and the last point I want to make here is this. I want to go deeper into true koinonia. 
fellowship. We toss that word around left and right in our minds. Like, we don't really say that word a lot, right? Hey, bro, what, what are you doing? Let's fellowship. Like, we don't say fellowship. We say chill, right? But what is that word koinonia? It's this. It's communion. It, it says right here, what it literally means is sharing in common. Sharing in common. But all these thousands of disciples that gathered together, what did they have in common? They're all so diverse and different. All these languages, all these cultures. They're so different. So were the 12 disciples. They were so different. What do you mean? What did they have in common that we can call this true Christ-centered fellowship? Right? What is common here? It's godliness and Christ-likeness. If the pursuit of Christ and his likeness is not central in our fellowship, then we are prone to drift into simply calling it a social gathering. This is something that we need in our families, in our friendship groups, you know, in our house churches that's going to begin soon. In every relationship that we have, what is that thing where we all meet at the same place? What do we have in common? That pursuit of Christ-likeness. Amen? That's what we're going after here. That's what Jesus is emphasizing. Right? Christ-centered fellowship is when there are people that are selfless, intentional, and mindful. And they do whatever it takes to pursue that together. And we see that in the early, early church. We see that in the early church. And I like to think of it like this. How many of you guys like eating? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you guys like fine dining? That seven course, eight course, whatever meal, right? Why are you guys ashamed? You don't, or you don't like it, right? You see, a lot of times when we come to church, right? Or when we go to a gathering, a Christian gathering, we often go into it with the mindset of fine dining. We go into it, here's my course, where's my next course, where's my next course? But you know, when I read the Bible, you know what I imagine actually? I don't imagine fine dining. I imagine a, a bomb potluck. I love potlucks. Who likes potlucks here? Right? Now here's the thing about potlucks. When I was a college student, we had so many potlucks. And I'm ashamed to admit that I didn't spend hours cooking the best meal. I went to Walmart and get the potato salad that's already made. I signed up for the cutlery, plastic color, and the drinks. And I bring it to the table while others bring their best meal. You guys see where I'm getting at? You see, Christ-centered fellowship always has the best potluck. Where every appetizer feels like a main course. You know what I mean? Can you guys imagine that with me? You see, when we come together to fellowship, when we come together to do life together, not only should we bring our burdens and our struggles and how, how we're facing the resistance, which that is crucial, which we need that. We need the washing of our feet, bringing our struggles. What if we also brought our best testimonies? What if we also paid attention and brought, what did God do in my life this week? What if fellowship looked like this, where someone busted open the can and asked the question, hey, what's God been speaking to you these days? And what if everybody in the group brought their best? 
What would fellowship look like? How much stirring and how much would our hearts be provoked to live in Christ-likeness? How much would our faith be so stirred up? And that's what we're going after as a church. That is what we're going after as a church. And Jesus finishes it off by saying, by the way we love one another and wash one another's feet, by the way that we do Christ-centered fellowship, guess what? The world will know that we are his disciples. That is a verse that is very difficult to believe, to be honest. By the way we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples? Really? It's in the Bible. It's truth. Jesus said it himself. But could it be that we may struggle to believe it? Because maybe we really haven't experienced it yet. And I know many in this room that you have tasted and seen that. I've tasted and seen that too. But you know what? I want our potlucks to be so amazing So bomb. I want our church to be a culture where we love to wash one another's feet, where there's vulnerability to take our shoes off, take our socks off, show our mess. We may cover each other's mess with the truth. What would that look like? And I want people to be intrigued by that from the outside. That's what we're going after here. That's what we're going after. Amen? So to summarize, Jesus commands us to wash one another's feet. Washing one another's feet, brothers and sisters. First of all, take off your shoes, take off your socks. And I understand, I'm not literally right now, okay? And I understand, and I understand that some of our feet, quote unquote, or our perception of our feet, seems so jacked up that we don't want to take off our socks. We don't want to take off our feet. But I'm praying and I'm longing for a community here, for a church here to cultivate such a culture of heaven where we feel safe around each other. We will not be judged. Can you just picture with me someone just struggling to show their feet And then just like 20 people rush, get on their knees to just wash their feet, cover them with truth, cover them with love. Christ died for your sins. He still welcomes you. He still pursues you. And they're running after Christ together. Love your neighbors. Love one another. That's what it means. For application of this, you know, I went over time, so I'm not going to do this. But, you know, I go to, I go to uh, church retreats in the past, and there have been foot-washing ceremonies, right? Have you guys ever seen, been a part of that, right? You go to church, and then you know, you're a little youth kid, and you're a little, you know, joshik like me, and then you know what you did, and then your pastor comes up, takes off your shoes, start washing, and you say, you start crying, right? That was me all day, every day, right? <laughs> you know, I kind of wanted to do that, you know? Get each other to wash each other's feet symbolically. But we just can't bring water in here. <laughs> I was going to bring out all this boot tissue, you know? <laughs> like, bring a bunch of boot tissue and wash each other's feet. But we won't do that. 
We won't do that because that is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. And I'll emphasize just the inward reality, and then we'll close in prayer. And here's, it's very simple. What, what does it mean to, uh, forget this, right? What does it mean to show your feet right? to your friends after you fellowship, when you, when you guys, you know, fellowship after this, right? Have a meal together, break bread. What does it mean to show your feet? To share your struggles. To confess your sins, I dare say. Confess your sins. And what does it mean where we come alongside and we stoop down low, not thinking we're better than anybody else, like the disciples were thinking. And for us to just pray for each other and wash over each other with truth. Because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Wash one another's feet. Do unto others as I have done unto you. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes.